You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we have just read, um, your word is your very breath that you breathe out to us. You've, you've recorded it so that we may now be blessed to receive it. Father, I pray that you would allow my words um, to teach faithfully. I pray that you would give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive. May we be equipped as you intend to equip us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as I said in my introduction, it is a, a real privilege, an exciting privilege to stand before you, uh, a, a new church in the family of Sovereign Grace uh, Ministries. Um, and I'm sure you're excited as you uh, anticipate what the Lord has for you as a church and as an individual Christian within that church as you think to the, to the years ahead. Maybe you're excited about uh, opportunities you'll have to serve within the church and what that means in serving the community around you. Well, in today's passage, there is a promise um, given to us that you can look forward to as a Christian and as a, as a church, but I think it's not, gonna th not something you're going to look forward to with much eagerness and relish. It's not something that would have been high on your list as, uh, as a reason to become a Christian uh, if somebody had put this forward to you when they were explaining the gospel to you. And it's the issue of facing persecution as a Christian. Now, when you hear the word persecution, I wonder if, like me, your mind immediately travels um, to other parts of the world. Um, as, we, as Larry prayed to the pastor in Iran who's been imprisoned for his faith. Or maybe to Christians in China or, or other parts of Asia where Christians can and do face very severe persecution for, being their, for expressing their faith. But in verse 12 of our passage, Paul says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that persecution can take many forms. Um, it needs to be expected if we are to pursue that godly life in Christ. Jesus himself prepares his disciples for this when he says in Matthew 5:11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. As Christians, as those who are in Christ Jesus... By God's mercy, we now no longer belong to this world. We report to a different master. And we are told that we must be prepared to face the tension and conflict with those who remain in the world and remain loyal to it. Now, while Christians in other parts of the world often face a type of persecution that we do not, 
we have been graciously spared from, the reality is that persecution comes in different forms and different degrees. It may come as one, one act of shocking violence. It may be over many years of subtle yet intentional intimidation. We know that Satan is a prowling lion, yet he is also a crafty snake. And sometimes he may attempt to devour you with one bite. Other times he's content with one nibble at a time. The end result is exactly the same. Jesus told us in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, where persecution can lead, he says that the crop that is sown onto rocky ground, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, that person falls away. So what might persecution look like for us today? Perhaps it's in a family gathering, which for you is no longer joyful. Because when you've attempted to share the love of Christ in the gospel, it's been received with coldness and maybe even hostility. Maybe it's, you see it in a friendship which has blown up. As you sought to speak lovingly into someone who was living out in a, in a destructive sin, and their response is merely to lash back with slander and gossip against you. Or perhaps it's in the workplace, where a lunchtime conversation in the break room, where you're simply answering questions given to you by a colleague about what the Bible says about sexuality, leads to a call to the boss's office and a warning that such discrimination will not be tolerated in the workplace. So in the face of promised persecution... How will you remain steadfast in Christ? The Apostle Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy specifically to encourage him and equip him to stand steadfast in Christ in the face of persecution that Paul knew would come against him. And God's word to us today through Paul similarly encourages us and equips us to do the same. The first thing we see in God's word is that in the face of promised opposition, we must remember those before us. And I use the term before us both in terms of those before us in history and those who are before us today. Verse 14 reads, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now that word whom is in the plural. And I take that to mean that Paul is referring to Timothy's mother and grandmother who is already referred to in chapter 1. But he's also referring to himself, to Timothy, to Paul, sorry. In verse 10, we know that he has, um, Timothy has followed Paul's teaching. But it's more than simply learning something from a person. Timothy has watched Paul's life and learned from him. As we see in verses 10 and 11, as they continue. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Now, as I mentioned, Timothy, uh, Paul's letter is written to Timothy in the midst of persecution because he's currently in a Roman prison cell. But he specifically calls to Timothy's attention suffering that Paul experienced on his first missionary journey with, through modern-day Turkey. We have an account of it starting in Acts chapter 13, Paul went to Antioch, and initially the Jews received his message, the message of Jesus Christ, with enthusiasm. But when they realized that the gospel was meant for all people, Jews and non-Jews alike, out of jealousy, they drove Paul out of the city. Well, he went on to Iconium, 
And in Acts chapter 14, we read that the city was divided over Paul's teaching, some for him and some against him. And eventually the persecution against him reached to the point where he learned the Jews were going to stone him, and he fled that city. And he moves on to Lystra. In Acts chapter 14 again, Paul is enthusiastically received. But the Jews come all the way from Antioch and Iconium. That's a distance that would have taken maybe five days to travel on foot. That's the level of their uh, animosity toward him. And they stir up the crowds in Lystra. And in Acts chapter 14 verse 19 we read, They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. It wasn't that they stoned him and left him for dead. They stoned him thinking he was dead. That was the purpose of stoning. It wasn't a warning. It was an execution. But by God's grace, Paul survived. And then he did something rather odd. He got up and went back into the same city that he was just dragged from. And he stayed the night. The next day, he went to Derby. And, there he, and then he returned and went through Lystra, Iconium and Antioch to encourage the church on his way home. In fact, Paul travelled through those three cities on, each th- on all three of his missionary journeys. Now, the reason Paul highlights these cities to Timothy, we learn in, well, the reason he highlights those is we learn in chapter 16 of Acts. Because it's in Lystra that, that Timothy grew up, that's his hometown. And so it's going to be safe to assume that Timothy would have at least known of Paul's trials and the sufferings he experienced if he didn't even see it with his own eyes. But more than just knowing Paul's treatment, he would have known how Paul endured that suffering and the courage he had to return to care for the church. And on Paul's second missionary journey, going through the city of Lystra, he takes Timothy under his wing to disciple him. But these verses, verse 10 and 11... Paul is not commending himself. Rather, he is seeking to have his life commend the Christ whom he followed. Paul's life, how he lived and what he taught, through his uh, perseverance through persecution in the faith, it all commends Christ. Paul intends Timothy to remember Paul's life before him. And as Timothy remembers the one from whom he learned Christ, and whom he saw remain steadfast in Christ... So he would imitate Paul and he too would remain steadfast in Christ. And we can be encouraged to remain steadfast in the same way. Consider, we don't just have Paul's life recorded for us, we have the lives of Peter and Stephen and John and others. We have countless generations through the Old Testament. And then beyond scripture, God has preserved his people through 2,000 years to today. Study the lives of those who have remained faithful through bitter persecution reveals a Christ who is worth following to the end. That fallen people would ultimately remain faithful despite opposition should encourage us not to look at the men and women themselves, but to the Christ in whom they remain steadfast. So let me suggest what application might look like. Read stories of Christians throughout church history. Not just as a hobby, because that's something you're interested in, but for the benefit of your faith. Read through the book of Acts and see how people responded to persecution. Find yourself a good Christian biography or autobiography. Um, You need to be very careful. Some make much of the person and make very little of their God. But there are many out there which um, you can read much of what they believed and how it sustained them and changed their lives. Look for when they get knocked down and how God picks them up. How they endured hardship, suffering and persecution, 
and you will be you will be strengthened to remain in Christ through many trials. We are encouraged then to remain steadfast in Christ by remembering those who have lived before us in history. But we're also encouraged to remain steadfast by those who who are remaining Christ before us today. As a Christian, your life is a testimony to Christ. Not just before non-believers, but before other believers around you. So you should be encouraged uh, in your faith as you witness the life of other Christians around you. This is one reason why you rightly prioritise meeting together. Not just on a Sunday morning, but through hospitality and other opportunities for fellowship. To see everyday people going through their everyday problems continues to encourage us to remain in Christ and encourage us to, to um, encourage one another in their journey in Christ. As we see other people um, going through what they are suffering and seeing that God is in- giving them faith to endure, so we are encouraged to endure also. But I recognise that looking at other people, um, we can sometimes be tempted to write off the encouragement that that is meant to bring to us. We can be tempted to say, well, you know, that's very well, but that is them. They're clearly, those people are clearly special. They must be a hero in the faith. Um, they've got special gifts that I just don't have. I could never endure the opposition or the persecution that they en- are enduring or have gone through. And I think that's why Paul goes on to say in verses 16 and 17 what he does about God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul wants Timothy to remember to remain steadfast through persecution and that he did it, not because Paul was special, but because his faith was shored up and strengthened in the same scriptures that Timothy had and grew up knowing, in the same scriptures that we have before us today. So that brings me to my second point. In the face of promised persecution, we must remember God's word. Now Paul's specifically speaking to Timothy in his position as a man of God, as he says there. So verses 16 and 17 have a special application for pastors and preachers. But there is general application for every believer. There is no monopoly on the Bible. Thank we We can all have one in front of us. God has made his word available to us so that we can be complete, to be fully equipped to persevere when enduring uh, persecution for our faith. Now I dare say these verses are very familiar to you, and that you will be quick to affirm them, that this book contains the very words of God himself. But just being familiar with them doesn't mean that we've fully submitted to them, and to the truth that they contain. Really, these verses are ones that we will grow in submission to throughout our lives. So what would it look like for you to grow in the truth contained in these verses? Most, Most obviously, the priority we give to reading our Bible reveals much of what we believe about the Bible. But what about how you use Scripture with one another? Is your counsel, your encouragement, your conversations with other Christians, is it flavoured with Scripture? Are you eager and grateful to receive scripture from others when you're facing trials? Or do you grow a little dismissive and impatient, preferring to receive more real-life counsel? For myself, having spent the last six months in the pastor's college and having to wrestle much with this book, God has challenged me on my Goldilocks mentality when it comes to the Bible. 
I realise that there are certain parts of the Bible that I have found too hard. And so I'm inclined to skip over those and not apply myself to them. And on the other hand, there's other parts of the Bible which I find too easy. And so I can skim over those. And so I limit myself to those parts of the Bible which I find just right. But if this whole book is God's word to me, then I need all of it to be complete for the work that God has for me to do. And I'm not free to dismiss sections of it just because they're not to my liking. For those parts that I find too easy, I need to remember that divine breath from the lungs of God flows out of every page of this book. And my puny finite lungs will never exhaust all that he wants to exhale through it. And for those parts of the Bible that I find too hard, as I've learned, I've learned that parts of the Bible are hard. But it's not hard like quantum physics hard. It's hard like shoveling snow. When it comes down to it, most of us can do it. Some, some may be faster than others, but generally speaking we can all do it. It comes down to whether I'm motivated to do it, not whether I can do it. It's a, bit, it's a question of limited ability, not a question of limited ability, but a limited motivation. And so I can pray with a psalmist, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And I can trust that God will work in me as I press into his word. And thankfully we have many excellent resources available to us to understand those hard parts of the Bible from people who have done much of the shoveling for us. But given the context of these verses, in terms of remaining steadfast in Christ in the face of promised persecution, there is added importance to being equipped with God's word. I think it's like that dream that I'm told is quite common to all people. At least I hope it's not just me. That dream that you're in a public place or maybe uh, you've gone to work and for some reason you're missing a rather vital piece of clothing. (laughs) Well, we all laugh about that because when we wake up we realise it's not true. But I think Paul would say that the reality of not being equipped with God's word would be just as ludicrous but far, far more serious. He would be concerned for that person. Because he knows that it was only having scripture in his head and in his heart that he was equipped to stand firm in Christ through persecution. And he would be concerned for us if we were not equipped in the same way. So in the face of promised persecution, we remain steadfast in Christ as we remember those before us and we remember God's word. Finally, we remain steadfast through promised persecution as we remember the gospel. Now I know that this is a message that you have heard many times. Remember the gospel. But please permit me to say it to you again. Because it is our common experience, isn't it, that tells us that if we are not intentional to keep filling our hearts and our heads with the gospel, it is all too easy that our attention will be filled up with something else. Something other than Christ. It's really this last point in remembering the gospel that the previous two lead us. When we learn from the life and the teaching of others, and what Paul now tells us, all of God's word points to, is the gospel, the salvation that is through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 14 and 15. He says to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith 
in Christ Jesus. The Bible is not first and foremost a book of do's and don'ts, nor is it a manual on how to raise your kids or how to have a successful marriage, or it's, nor is it a theology textbook on how to have right doctrine, although it achieves all of these things. It is first and foremost a book with one common thread weaved through every page, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all of scripture points us to the gospel, the good news of salvation, is, is like a man who discovers a majestic mountain landscape. And he's so awestruck by this site that he builds a house on the opposite mountain. And in this house he puts windows only in one wall, a thousand windows pointing at his mountain. So that everything he looks at is this view. Now some of those windows are big and broad, and some are small and narrow. Others are low to the ground, and others are just small peepholes. But everything gives him a glimpse of what he loves. And this is the claim of Scripture about itself. But how does that help us when we are going to face promised persecution and trials? Look again at Paul's experience of persecution. He says something very odd at the end of verse 11. He talks about his persecutions in Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra. And then he says, The persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. What does he mean when he says, The Lord rescued me? It didn't sound like the Lord rescued him. He was left for dead. What does he mean when he says that? This was, from Paul, this is not some Christian platitude. You know, yeah, I nearly died, but I didn't. So I should say something like, well, the Lord rescued me. To Paul, what made him remain steadfast in persecutions and trials was not a platitude, but a person. And this is the heart of the Christian faith that we must remember if we are to remain steadfast in Christ. That the gospel does not promise us a life free from trials now, nor is it merely pie in the sky when we die. But the gospel is about being brought into a right relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. God didn't rescue Paul by preventing him from being stoned, but he rescued Paul by enabling him to remain steadfast to the very end of his life. And he did it by being with Paul through his Holy Spirit, through everything he endured. And when Christ was with him, to Paul, nothing else mattered. And we shouldn't think that Paul is talking here about some second Damascus Road experience where he was physically blinded by the glory of Christ and miraculously sustained in his faith as he faced persecution. Now, if you, if you read those chapters in Acts to see what he was referring to, there is no clear explanation as to what he's talking about. There is no account of Jesus showing up in what Luke records in Acts. So for Paul, this is not a unique, special experience for the Apostle Paul. He is speaking here of a promise of rescue that Timothy can claim for himself, and that we can claim today. Paul experienced God's faithfulness to answer what Jesus taught us to pray, and we prayed it this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. The word deliver us is the same, deliver is the same, used in verse 11 for rescue. In fact, your Bible may translate it, the Lord delivered me. Now I imagine that, like me, when you've prayed the Lord's Prayer many times, 
But it wasn't until I looked at this passage that I realized that God may answer that prayer in a very different way to the way I'm thinking he will. I'd like God to rescue me from evil by sparing me from it. He may answer it by delivering us through it. I hope you have never been, and you never will be, but for imagine for a moment that you are in a house fire in your home. You're trapped in your bedroom and you can't get out. All you can do is wait to be rescued. You hear the sirens of a fire truck coming down the street and your heart bursts with relief when a firefighter rushes in through your bedroom. He comes to you and he puts his arm around you and he says, it's going to be okay. I'm here now. I'm not going to leave you. We're going to see this through together. What would you make of that? Wouldn't you want to know if he had backup? Wouldn't you want to know if there was somebody else who could properly rescue and take you out of the fire? But when that rescuer is the Lord Jesus Christ, to Paul and to the Christian, everything is different. It's not that we forget the fiery trial that we're in. But as we remember the gospel, we remember a far more glorious reality. We remember that when we were at our most desperate before God, when the fiery trial that we were to face was an internal judgment under God's right to persecution for our sins, we know that it was then that God saved us. We are united to him through trusting that he sent his son Jesus to be persecuted to the point of death on the cross, to bear the punishment that we deserved. And we remember that we now have a sure hope that we will be joined to him in a resurrected life, to join the holy throng of heaven and praise and worship of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And as we remember that, we remember also a foretaste of that joy he's given to us by being with us through his Holy Spirit. His Spirit fuels and enables us the desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus today, so that in the face of promised persecution, we will remain steadfast in Christ. Remembering the gospel, testified to by the lives of Christians past and present, revealed to us through all of scripture, enables us to remain steadfast in Christ through every trial and persecution, so that we can say with Paul, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain.